Welcome to the One Away Show, presented by BW Missions. I am Brian Wish, and I am your host, and thanks so much for being here. On this show, I sit down with compelling entrepreneurs, authors, and rising leaders to talk through their most transformative relationships, experiences, and epiphanies. Curated with entrepreneurial leaders in mind, we'll dig into these finite moments in people's lives and understand how they helped set their path forward. Mary Smith is a licensed professional counselor with skills and expertise in working with a diverse population in Washington, D.C. Mary works with adults who are experiencing difficulties in areas of relationships, anxiety, depression, and transition. She uses many approaches, including mindfulness, mind-body connection, and a solution-focused orientation. Mary works to promote self-awareness, improve emotional well-being, and develop and enhance personal strengths. She focuses on identifying what emotional hurdles are preventing her clients from emotional well-being and helping them overcome them through more satisfying, fulfilling, and healthy relationships with their self and others. Mary has served the Washington, D.C. community since 2012, working with the Virginia Hospital Center, the Women's Center, and her own private practice. She is also the co-host of the Dating Humans podcast, a show where Mary teams up with Washington, D.C. fireman for Limo Simba for forward-thinking discussions about relationships. In everything she does, Mary aims to help others work through the helpless feeling and take back the reins of their lives. Mary, welcome to the One Away Show. Thanks, Brian, for having me. I appreciate you inviting me on here. Yeah, uh, you've been a PR star as of late, so you know. <laughs> I hope, I hope uh, you're warmed up for this. Um, yeah, I'm getting getting this mic. Uh, it's good good use in. So good, a few reps. So that's good. You know. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's dive in. Really looking forward to this. Uh, what is the One Away moment that you want to share with us today? So something I want to share with you all today is a situation that happened to me when I was a sophomore in college. Um, I had heard about my ex in high school. His mom had committed suicide. And so that is a pivotal moment that really honed in why I was studying psychology. Wow. I'm sure uh, when you got the news and you knew what your major was or what you were really into, it kind of registered in a different way for you or a heavier way. So thank yeah. you for sharing. So let, let's yeah. maybe unpack that. When, when that happened, what was your like first reaction? Uh, how did it make you feel? I... I actually got a call from a mutual friend of ours and they were like, Hey, um, he was out in Colorado and they're like, Hey, someone needs to tell him he doesn't know this yet. So like my initial reaction was, um, fear. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to break this news to this person, you know, who I, I had had a relationship with, but no longer did. And obviously it's something extremely heavy, sad, you know, all these other emotions, I think were, were coming up for me. Um, but you know, what's interesting is an emotion that I also had was relief for her because I knew how much pain she was in. And so that was a more difficult one, I think, mm -hmm. to, to allow myself to feel, it didn't feel right to feel. So you, because you knew her, you 
you saw maybe through that relationship how much pain she was in prior yeah. to ending her life. Yeah. Uh, and so you you almost on one end saw it. Maybe she was in a better place, you know, for herself, for her mm-hmm. soul. But on the other end, here's someone who I don't talk to at all anymore. And like, how do I maybe be there for him or, or show up through this during this time? And I'm sure that so that sounds like they created a lot of confusion uh, for you. Is that right? Absolutely. Confusion for 19 year old me. That was like, whoa, what do I do with this information? Mm. So what, what did you do? Uh, well, I called him and he had actually already, you know, found out. And what was interesting is that I think he had in a way also shared that relief feeling because he knew how much his mom struggled too. And so he seemed more at peace with it. And so I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Um, And then honestly, I think I had some like almost like, okay, well, is going kind of rational, like, okay, suicide, selfish, you know, all those things that you can, that you hear about suicide. And it really like, I started to kind of dive into like the emotions of like, okay, like, is there, am I angry at her? Cause I knew her for, and her for doing this to like this person that I had once cared about, even though he might not be experiencing that emotion. So then it was kind of like the whirlwind after we had talked of like, wow, like she left her son and her daughter and her grandchildren. And, but then at the same time, she was in so much mental pain and from years of her own trauma. Totally. I bet that was incredibly hard. I mean, just hard. I mean, I'm curious when you were dating him, what what were some of the things that you saw give, because you have the experience that you do now, maybe were drivers of that depression uh, from maybe her traumas. Um, I would say like, uh, her inability, you know, cause you could sense when you're around her, you know, she was a lovely person, but there was also lots of stuff like heavy stuff that you could sense being around her. And I could definitely sense that as I could, you know, I didn't realize this at the time, but I could feel lots of people's emotions and stuff. And so you could sense that she, it was a hard time sitting in herself. She had a hard time, like not being anxious. And she also had, you know, drug and alcohol issues, you know, to try to regulate herself. And it was, it was very evident that she had a hard time regulating herself. And so I think that's what, you know, was the driving force behind this. Well, it's interesting. Those are, those are acute observations, maybe from the physical manifest manifestations of the inner world. When you were with, what was, well, I won't ask you the name. When you were dating uh, this person, did he share anything specific with you that, that happened to his mother that she had maybe shared with him or done over the years that helped give these physical expressions some some sense? Absolutely. I believe that, you know, the, the physical expressions are a manifestation in our adult lives that were language as a kid. Because like, again, as a, as a young child, we don't have the verbal language. So our memories 
are stored in the body. And like, we get a body sense, you know, it's almost like when we can't verbalize something and sometimes what happens too, even in adult trauma, like the body has the language, the body, the body knows, the body keeps score. And so what he had shared with me was that she had lots of childhood trauma. You know, her, her dad apparently had his own levels of trauma, but he had anger issues. I'm pretty sure it was emotional, physical abuse. Um, and she saw a bunch of, bunch of shit as a kid. Um, so, I mean, we, we think about levels of trauma. I'd say she had many multiple, multiple traumas in her, in her early childhood and adolescence and teenage years. So it just continued. Yeah, absolutely. And you yeah. would say those were unprocessed traumas. I think that she had tried to get help here and there. Um, and I, I think it was hard for her to, to, you know, I, I, from what she had told me, there were some therapists that she didn't trust or that she didn't like. And to be fair, I think there aren't, you know, again, they're going to be bad therapists. They're not going to be that great that exist. Um, but I also think part of this was, it was hard for her to trust anyone. You know, she grew up in an environment where she couldn't trust her early attachment figures. Right. So how could she let anyone else in to help her through that? Right. So thanks for the in-depth analysis here. Yeah. So let's, so let's bring this back to the relationship and then I'll bring it back to you. So in your relationship with this person, how did maybe the things passed down to him show up in the, your relationship with you, with whatever you're comfortable sharing? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it was a, a repetition of that. It was emotional, some physical abuse, and it was something for me that I was like, wait a minute, like what's going on? inside of me, am I causing this? So it also, it triggered my own shit. And then I just replayed back into it. So again, I don't want to say it was all his shit because it's like his shit triggered my shit and my shit triggered his shit. And it was like, just a, not a good relationship. Um, but you could see that he had been raised in this environment where like, it was almost evident now looking at it, through my clinical lens of you can see that he had been raised by someone who had this trauma, but she didn't, mm -hmm. she didn't do the trauma to him. Right. It's like the generational trauma that you yeah. hear about, you know, that's undealt with unprocessed right. and again, not knowing how to have a healthy relationship. Totally. It's like you, it sounds like a, a inferno. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say so. <laughs> yeah. 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 But my parents uh, would probably say that too. <laughs> who's hurt? Who? My parents would say who's, that too. Yeah. yeah well, they were how, like the parents can always see the things that the kids like won't listen to, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. Wise people. But they they also have their own issues too. So you know. exactly. Um, yeah. No, not no parent is perfect, but right. I mean, maybe yours are, but you know, tell us the They're pretty close. They're pretty close. Oh, well, that's good to know. So <laughs> uh you good models. Uh okay, so Back to, let's go back to, oh, oh, one question I have for you, given given the line of work that you're in. Yeah. Everything that you just shared with me, right? About your, the relationship, about his mom. 
were all those observations very acute to you then, or are those things that you've really maybe taken a lot of time to process and learn as you've done your own work and you've gotten much deeper into the field you have? Definitely the latter. (laughs) Um, When I was in it, gosh, and you know, I wish I could kind of tell my younger self, like go to therapy. Um, It was like when I was in it, my stuff was being so much triggered that I, you know, I was like, oh, it's me. Like I'm the crazy one. So I wasn't Mm -hmm. able to take that, you know, kind of 360 lens and look at, wait, what is actually happening here? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that makes sense. And I guess another curious question I have for you is, before we move forward on this, is you say what you said it was most of maybe his stuff. Let's just call it seventy percent his stuff, but let's say it was thirty percent your stuff. Like, what what do you think were some of the things that you brought in that made it also very unhealthy on your side? Um, well, um, my inability to regulate my emotions. So you know. I would, I would get triggered because again, that's where my parents' flaws were is that they didn't know how to deal with emotions. And that's Mm -hmm. where my stuff lies is like, you know, I didn't, I was told that like anger was like not okay emotion because of how I would, you know, Mm -hmm. like have outbursts and stuff and how it would be, you know, again, undiagnosed ADHD, like loud, you know? And so that stuff came into play And for him, that was like the danger, like danger signal. And so his defense would come at, and like, I would be like, okay, so my stuff was the inability to regulate my emotions um, and the insecurity too, like not being able to vocalize my needs and my boundaries. And so with that inability of both of those, I think significant things that make a healthy relationship, it was like, that was like the recipe to make that, you know, inferno happen. Well, appreciate you sharing about your parents and also maybe where you uh where you saw maybe the gaps back then that you've yeah. probably had to really work through and address over the years. Absolutely. Um, okay, so back to psychology, back to your college, 19 year old Mary. Yeah, 19. Yeah, something like that. 2019. Great. So so maybe the at that time you had this inkling or this natural pull that psychology was a a deep interest of yours and trying to figure out what to do with it. After you made the phone call to uh, your last, one of your last partners, how did everything kind of unfold for you? Maybe from that moment forward, was that moment a, oh my God, wow, like I'm on the right track. I don't know what to do type of thing. And I need to keep diving into this. Like what, what did that moment perpetuate? It perpetuated the drive, like my drive to continue. Because again, I wasn't that great at school. Again, undiagnosed ADHD. Like I didn't know how I should study. And I was horrible at writing papers too. Um, but it it pushed me to go, no, I don't, I don't want to give up on this. I can't give up on this. I have to do this. This is like it felt like a calling. It felt like a a push, a pull. like a drive to go, I need to figure out how to study because I need to get into grad school because I need to help people. Because Mm. I believe that if she could have been helped more or better, that this would be like this whole cycle would have stopped, you know, at some point in the line of the generations. 
Mm. It's like, you know, again, if we choose to do our own healing, we're basically stopping generational trauma. So it was like, it was like this pull, this drive and this passion where, where I was like, all of a sudden I started getting my stuff together and was like, okay, I need to apply to grad school, junior, senior year. So, yeah, you know, it's, uh, I heard a quote the other day. It said, hurt people, hurt people. Mm, yeah. I'm sure you've heard it. Um, yeah. But you're right. When you do that healing, um, yeah. you know, carry those wounds forward and then kind of put them on others. And by the way, I think it's fascinating that you took it upon yourself to further the drive to then go out and say, if other people could be helped and break that cycle earlier, right? They yeah. could not only go live healthier lives for themselves, but the impact on others probably more impactful in a positive way. Yeah. Uh, super, super uh, interesting. Um, you know, one of the questions I have for you, and I, I want to build build on that, but I want to segue to this. There's a lot of advocacy right now for sharing about mental health online. Mm. I think that's incredible. Yeah. Uh, people are open and vocal. But just this conversation, the idea that's co has come to me is like, what if, well, you said that her mom's depression or his mom's depression was perhaps perpetuated by a lot of the trauma that she had and never dealt with. Mm -hmm. By the way, I know there's a lot of biological factors and maybe it's chemical and I'll never go away, but maybe there are things that could be used to improve it. So I don't want to mm -hmm. um, take lightly like those instances, but I wonder if it would be interesting and I'm geared, love your thoughts as the professional in this space, but if it would, yes, it's great to support people in sharing their mental health journey, mm -hmm. but what if we, what would you say if I said, what if we celebrated more of people who shared how they healed and broke the cycle and it really alleviated some of their mental health pains. Like, does that speak to you? Yeah, because it speaks um, there. So what you're talking about is obviously I think it's needed, right? If we're like, we're like making something and we're creating something, there's a bunch of ingredients into right. the bowl that we need to mix to create something beautiful. Right. And I right. think you're mentioning people feeling validated by sharing their story. So speaking up, using your voice, and then others are going, oh my gosh, you know, thank you for sharing that allowed me to share. But then there's this piece on it that if you share how you did it, mm. you know, your journey, you know, that like they, that could be hope for people. And that is something that I often hear a lot of clients when they're in the like midst of the work, they're like, I, I don't, I can't see me getting better. I don't see hope. And again, it's something that they say people that commit suicide are the, the hope has been drained. They're hopeless. Mm. So I think that a story of sharing the journey mm. could give people hope mm. and maybe also like, Oh, is that how someone else did it? And, you know, again, I try to say everybody's different. Your own healing is going to look differently. Um, but I think it gives people like some, some sense of power and empowerment and hope. Mm. It's beautiful. Uh, yeah. I think just to your context, you like what you just said and people at maybe the end of the rope are hopeless. So yeah. uh, just could be interesting for the work you do with clients to share those stories as you help them break their own cycles. Uh, yeah. Share those stories of hope for others, which would be, cool platform for you. 
Um, yeah, Ruby, are you giving me an idea right now? Okay, we're going to talk I got, about I got this, ideas <laughs> for ideas for days. We got to create this. I like this, actually. Um, yeah, you never know. Um, yeah. So, one, I'm, thanks for going on that tangent with me. I'm always um, careful diving on these topics that aren't in my full expertise. So that's why I got a uh, champion who knows how to articulate. Hey, I, I think you're keeping up pretty good. Oh, yeah. okay. You know, career change, <laughs> maybe. No. Yeah. Um, Okay. So let's, let's go back. Let's keep, let's keep the thread going here. So you, you get the drive and I'm, I'm going to go help. I want to go help people like his mom, you know, change the course and direction of their life. Yeah. So where did you go for your, was it master's degree? Mm -hmm. So tell us about the journey of getting credentials and doing the things to put yourself in a position to be able to help and alleviate pain for the world. So, you know, what's interesting is that I I feel the need to share part of the part of the journey of getting that, you know, which is I remember senior year, my uh, I guess you call them guidance counselor or whatever, you know, uh, was like, you can apply to grad school. Your grades aren't good enough. And I was like, no, I need to do this. Like I, I to be a therapist, I have to go to grad school. And she was like, yeah, no, you know, and she just looked at me. It was very, you know, it was more like not supportive, negative. It was, you can't get in. You just, you need to take a regular job and you need to stick with that. I was like, you know, I, of course I like cried, but then like the outer me was like, okay, go fuck yourself. Um, excuse my language, but, and, and guess what I did? It was almost like maybe she was using reverse psychology because like I applied to schools. I talked to another person and they were like, okay, why don't you, um, applied to schools that were like new or, or programs that were new and you could mm. get in. And so I applied to Marymount university, which is in Arlington. And, you know, they said, uh, yeah, your grades aren't good enough, but you know what, why don't you come in for a group interview? And I was like, perfect. Like that is like, I shine when I'm in a room with someone and I can talk to them, mm. you know, like, if you look at, if you looked at my stuff on paper, like you'd be like, okay, what? But you know, um, when I was at Marymount, like they were like, I remember picking out, it was a group interview and they like made us pick out these objects. And then why did we pick this object and why do we want to talk about it? And you know what I picked up? I picked up the, a shattered family photo. And I was like, okay, this family photo is why I picked it up was because like, I think the divorce rate back in this time was like 50%. It's also probably 75% now, um, maybe even more, but I picked up the soda and I said, there is so much unhealed family stuff going on that if we could heal this, if therapists can try to heal this, I think the world would be a better place. And of course I gave a, you know, really, you know, killer argument. And they're like, you're in. And I was like, great. And then, you know, it was two and a half years of class and then internship. And then it was working at a nonprofit, getting my 3,500 hours to be licensed. And then finally, years later, I was like, okay, I got licensed. So that was like, I was able to help at, you know, when Mm -hmm. I was an intern and stuff like that. But, you know, the feeling like getting my license was that moment where I was like, okay, can I have an impact? Yes. Mm. 
So the uh, the shattered photo, I think, is a very powerful story in just yeah. your your whole journey, right? Yeah. Um, speaks to me. I'm like, what I went through as a kid, and it's like I was thinking curbing the divorce rate by breaking the cycle. I'm like, there's something here. Yeah. Um, because you're getting to the root of things. What just take us take take me us on the journey back to that moment real quick. Was that in a room like full of people? What what made you pick up the why was a shattered photo there? Just like maybe more depth around that. Uh, yeah, yeah. The way that they did group interviews was they had like two of the like um two of the teachers or somebody in the program watching a group of us at a round table. And one of the exercises was to pick up a symbol or an object. And it was like how to relate it, I think, to psychology or to like, why do you want to do what you want to do type of thing. And so like, I immediately just gravitated towards this object. And Mm -hmm. I think it's because at that time um, in college, I was actually studying um, and kind of working through the thesis of um, what was it like? It was about like how Facebook has changed interpersonal relationships, uh, social media and how it has changed or the impact on interpersonal relationships. And so I was already gearing towards like the impact of relationships. And then also knowing that, you know, families, um, like kind of just seeing, okay, why, why do we grow up in a society where the divorce rate is, is high, yet no one's really talking about what's really going on, the dynamics, Hmm. the change in our society. So like, I think that's where, like, I was like going with that of like, okay, Facebook and all the social media, then the divorce rates got higher, you know, what's going on. And obviously if you, as you look at history, it's, you know, you know, divorce wasn't really prevalent way back when in like Mm fifties, cause it wasn't socially acceptable. And then, you know, all that stuff. So I was like, why, we're not getting to the juice of it though. It's, it's interpersonal relationships. It's deeper than that. Yeah. It's how do we relate to ourselves and one another? Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's so interesting, uh, that you maybe saw the the deeper tissue. When, what, just for context, what year was this? 2011. Okay. So 10 years. So, you know, this, you know, the system, even in the early days of social media, yeah. uh, which I think your insight where you're kind of feeling around it was spot on. You're like, this is maybe more topical. And it's interesting. I, someone, so just to build on this for a second, somebody reached out to me. It was a good mentor in Atlanta and his parents were divorced too. Mm. He wanted to create a software platform with me that brought people together and, you know, they like alignment and like quarterly, like kind of planning, like kind of more like not business relationships, but like really to help people get on the same page and like communicate and do it. But I, we didn't end up pursuing it and it was the right thing to do. But to your point, right. I think it's hopefully, right. Maybe you can do it together when you're in the relationship, but if they can kind of break those cycles prior, maybe it's the, the relationship can start out on a much healthier whole stance that maybe it couldn't before. And so your insight around social media wasn't the issue. Sounds pretty spot on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I, obviously in this career, I just continue to learn. And I love that, you know, because what I knew 10 years ago, I've already like corrected or heard from another 
you know, therapist, 30 years in the business, that's like, wait a minute. No, no. Look, what about if you look at it through this lens? And so I think that's why I do love, you know, what I do because of that continuation and in, in learning. And however, I really do stick with this theory. Um, I think Esther, it was a podcast of Esther Perel. Um, and she My was, girl. yeah, I love her. I, I love her. Um, God, she was like life-changing to me, like just her like idea of relationships and, and all that. But she said that you don't need to come to a relationship like healed and whole. Hmm. And I thought that was pretty interesting because it kind of went against that whole, like, you know, you can't love others unless you love yourself first. And I'm sitting there at like 20 something, like after a major breakup being like, I've got to work on myself before I can like you know, love someone. Holy shit. It's going to take a lot of less. It would take many years. And she was like, you don't need to do that. You can actually find people that are, that can help, help heal. And, and you can go through a healing journey with them. It's just like, kind of like things have to align of like, you both want to work on it and all that stuff. So that was kind of mind blowing to me that you don't need to come completely whole and completely healed. But yeah. if you're, you know, it's about, does your partner have the will to work on that with you? Yeah. To grow with you. Yeah. That that's really interesting. Um, that book, man enough. Uh, oh, yeah. it talks, there's a section in there and it talks about like the relationships and like, it's like, you both got to bring your own shit to the front yard and like fertilize it together. And, but yeah, to your point, right. Like it takes, both people willing and wanting to do that um, to tango. And so even if you're not healed or whole, not that you ever are fully healed or whole, but it's not to your point around what um, I'm looking at the book up there. Uh, So what Esther said back in her day, or I guess it's still her day. Um, Yeah. She's shining (laughs) still. Yeah. It's great. How is she? She's older. Um, Yeah. Yeah. She's like, 30 years older than me because she because she also had a podcast about how therapists should have friends that are 30 years older and vice versa and i was like cool i do great (laughs) so let's uh let's dive into uh how you got started with your practice so you went to school i I assume you crushed the interviews they were like okay in person great grades don't matter it's the best way to do it so uh i mean maybe for for most people um and so did you start your practice like just out of the gate on your own or did you like work under people first? Like what, what was your journey to, you know, being, being out there and and helping people? Um, I feel like there's a meme, um, or a gif, whatever you say, the gif, um, of, have you seen Tommy boy, the movie? Yeah, it was years ago though. So he's like, there's a, a gif of like, okay, me describing my past and it's a Tommy boy on a desk with like a fire on the desk. And, and anyway, that's how, what comes up for me when you say like, how did you start your practice? It, it's almost like there was so much bullshit and sweat and tears. And, you know, even in the, the licensing, the therapy, the bureaucratic crap of it. And it's like, I feel like it wasn't an easy journey. And my support came from the, the other therapists that I worked with, mm. um, my own therapist at the time. Um, but it was, it was quite frankly, it was really tough because at that point I had been four years working at a, um, it didn't start out like this, but it became a pretty toxic 
nonprofit that was like kind of telling therapists to crunch out their numbers. And, and we were seeing like heavily traumatized people. And I was like, just burnt out. And I was like, something, I got to go. I'm almost close to my licensure. And so I decided to finally, I was so close. I think I got licensed. And what I did was I worked at Renew Psychological Services. So um, I honestly, I loved that place. It was, it's a, it's in DC. They've got like four or five locations and they would let therapists come in and then they would do the billing. They had like coffee and like granola bars. And I was like, this and you know, printers that actually worked. And I was like, this is fucking great. And so while I was building up, um, clients and, um, also I was at that time building up private practice. So I did half and half. So I was building up private practice. I was renting out an office from someone that I had met at the nonprofit. She had had her own office. And so I was kind of balancing both until I finally felt comfortable and okay to completely go out on my own. And then I think I was about a year and a half in and then the pandemic hit. So Wow. I was like, I just had my office. I got all cute and decorated. It was like, everybody loves it. It's comfortable. And then it was like, oh, wait a gotta minute. Gotta go home. Yeah. Wow. Well, it seems like it was a, um, you said hard, but very maybe fast uh, on-ramp for you from working and then also building your private practice, which seems like you've scaled up pretty quick. Uh, yes, but maybe doing it differently than what you saw at the nonprofit. So it's yeah. conducive to clients health, but yeah. just go back to what you were saying. You said it was really hard and like a long journey. What, unless you said it in what you were saying, were there other aspects that were just really hard that, that you want to speak to uh, on? Sure. I mean, I think that when you are pre-licensed and you're working towards your hours, you know, uh, for me, it was, you know, I wasn't making anything in this city. Like it was just enough to like, I feel like eat and live and pay for rent. Um, and you're also, you know, I was paying for supervision. So we have to get 3,500 hours and 200 of those are supervision. And that's, I was paying for out of my own pocket. And then the rest were client hours so, you know, there wasn't a much of an option to make a decent living and be able to do everything. And the licensing board takes like months to review. They did back in the day, take takes months to review. Wow. Um, and so it was, it was chaotic in, in that time. I didn't realize there was such a barrier to entry. 3,500 hours. Like I freaked out when my mom was like, you need to drive a thousand miles to drive on your own. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think if someone had told me how much time and, and, and how many tears would be put into getting this. I don't know. I mean, I probably still actually, I definitely would, would still do it, but I'd be like, Oh no, what am I getting myself into? Um, yeah, because it, there's not that many options for, pre-licensed therapist, right? Like it's not like you can see clients, you know, um, for a full fee you're seeing, or, you know, be linked up with insurance companies. Like you can't do any of that. Well, good for you for persevering through. I'm sure most would have been, well, 
many would have been like to hell with this. So, uh, but again, you, you put in the work and uh, you're here. So n- now that you are actively practicing, building your own private practice, and you've been doing this now a couple of years, few years on your own, for you personally, like, wh- where do you find the most fulfillment or the most gratification uh, from what you do day in and day out? Well, it's definitely not from billing or paperwork. Um, yeah, you, you need to outsource for this. Come on. <laughs> I know I'm working on doing that because yeah, um, that'd be great for, you know, my lack of organizational skills. Anyway, um, I would say, you know, my fulfillment comes from seeing my clients and seeing the work that they put in and then mm-hmm you know, finally like that moment of like, cause again, it's like in the, in working through relationships and consciousness, it's like, you don't see it as like a broken arm and then you put a cast on it and then you heal it. And then you're like, Oh, okay. It's off. It's healed. You know, great. There are these moments in that happen in the work that like the client knows, Oh my God, this is a sign of progress. Or like, mm. I didn't react to this situation that I've, you know, consistently reacted to for years. And it's like, it's that moment where you're connecting with them. They're connecting with themselves. Mm. Like they did the work. You just were the guide and you're like, but we're, this is great. We're in it together. You know? So those are like the most fulfilling moments. Yeah. Just being able to hear people's stories and what they go through and seeing that work. Totally. And I think it's so interesting, right? Because in maybe Western society that when you think of work that's built on functional, productive things that you can attribute to numbers in your line of work, I mean, I'm sure there's qualitative data that you can quantify, but the work is very, um, the word's not coming to me, but it's very internal and emotional and you can't always wrap you know, a number around it and you don't need to, but it, so the work, you know, is for you, it's, it's maybe different than let's just say the successful person who runs a, you know, a sales operation because you keep quant- the way you quantify it is different. So yes. when I guess here, here's my thought. So when, when clients are working with you do, is it more that you have to pinpoint to them the progress that they're making and they may not realize it? Or do you think a lot of your clients are maybe conscious to the internal realizations that you're noticing when they're playing backstories to you? I think it's both, which is again, just, I think the beautiful work of therapy in and of itself is that it's, it's teamwork, you know, because they are, they are probably subconsciously and consciously aware of it, but my skill is showing them and verbalizing, like, this is actually what happened to you, you know? Mm -hmm. So the process, and then they can go, Oh yeah, wait a minute. You're right. So like, again, when they immediately resonate with it, it's like, it was already there. Mm -hmm. They already knew it. They just, you know, a lot of people don't grow up with this language of like, you know, what's the process that's happening? Sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it makes so much sense. Um, and it's neat that you get to see that firsthand because yeah, you get to say, wow, this is why I should keep going uh, yeah. and building. So 
question um maybe some like more rapid fire questions to kind of end on a fun note i like that yeah so for let's just say the someone's listening and they have a pretty normal life and things are going fine and nothing is you know like i need therapy or this or that what would you say to that person maybe who hasn't had that trigger moment to bring them into i need help um to say why they should work with a therapist um Mm, that's kind of a interesting. You stumped me on on a, on a question, but uh, looking at it, if someone isn't needing, you know, they're if they're saying they don't need help, you know, then I might look at them and say, "Well, do you are you living your life the way that you want to?" And that might spark something, yeah, you know, because right. like. There's some people that like don't have a lot of trauma and you know, that's everything's grand, everything's fine, whatever. But maybe that question would be like, huh, wait a minute. Am I, I don't know. I haven't looked at it. <laughs> right. Either they're, look at it? <laughs> yeah. And maybe things are fine or they, they've numbed it or they just haven't confronted the mirror, you know, right. the way they should. Right. Well said. Uh, okay. Take me Mary 10 years out. You know, if if we can go this far out, where where is Mary Instagram the crazy therapist? Uh, where where is where's your practice? What's your vision for what you're doing with the work? Uh, yeah, lay it out. Okay, so ten years from now, you know, granted, or five or five, whatever's more manageable to answer. I well, I kind of like ten years from now, maybe okay, five. Great. Okay, I great. I think that there needs to be something where, because again, our, our world is, is going towards remote. Right. And the thing that has stopped me from moving places is because I have a license somewhere. I think there needs to be national and international licensing, um, states y'all work that shit out. I don't do that. Um, and with that, what I would like to do is I'd like to have, you know, a community of people, that are willing to come to the table that want to look at themselves or, you know, want to, you know, say, Hey, you know, I might be wrong in this situation or like what's going on in my relationships with people. So that I have a community that people have a community. So again, it's not mine. I want us to lay it us, a we thing. And, and we're going all over the world and Mm -hmm. we're, and we're talking to different people and we're talking about the same fucking things which is we all have emotions we all are people we're all trying to relate to one another you know what do we need in this world well connection and community you know Mm. that's the number one thing is social bonding and it's like that that is what i would love in 10 years if if i can if i can create a sense of community and for people that feel alone or for people that want to be joined by others and, and want to just do the work and then show others how to do the work. And like, kind of like a domino effect of a bunch of people being like, here's how to do the work. And we just go all all across the world. And there we are. I love it. I think it's an awesome place to end. I love the the vision and you're you're in the backyard of dc so maybe you got some uh, community activism to organize exactly uh so mary uh, in the last minute that we have where can people find you reach out to you you know get to know you yes um so my instagram page at the the crazy therapist at the crazy therapist and then tiktok is 
I think it's at the crazy therapist one. Uh, somebody had had the crazy therapist, so something like that. I should, um, I should know and that. then yeah. Go ahead. Um, no, it's okay. I'm like I should know this too, but at the crazy therapist on Instagram. Awesome, and then you'll find her on TikTok too if you look closely. Yeah, <laughs> you look. All right. Well, Mary, thank you so much. What a blast. Thanks again, Brian, for having me. I appreciate it. And it was great to talk to you today. Absolutely. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, I hope you leave a review on the platform of your choice and share it with a friend who you think would find it valuable. If you'd like to receive our written newsletter and thought leadership, head on over to bwmissions.com backslash newsletter and subscribe. See you on the next show.